Oh, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing this morning? Okay. One person's doing okay. How's everybody doing? There's at least a couple of us in the room. All right. We're in the presence of God, amen? And so why don't I just open with a word of prayer before we get into anything. And so, Father, uh, we come here to meet you in this place. Lord, that is primarily why we are here, to worship you, to enter into your presence, to be changed by your word and your power. Holy Spirit, have your way. Soften hearts. Open minds. Father, we love you. Father, help us to be expecting this morning to not take for granted that we can enter into your presence. And so, Father, I pray now that you help us to focus, to remove the distractions, the anxieties, the fears, the uncertainties, the chaos, that you silence those things and that all that's left is the name of Jesus, whom we worship and love. And so we welcome you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, we have a little, I, I don't see the crows yet here this morning, but it's in my notes and I have to stick to my notes. So we have a little baby um, gift for the crows, little Noel, Noel Eleanor. Did I say that right? No, what, what a beautiful name. No, Noel Eleonora. We want to welcome Noel Eleonora into the world and it's a blessing. And so I know the crows, I think, are on their way, but we'll have that little gift bag for them. Um, we have uh, the last few weeks been lighting the Advent candles, and so we lit the hope and the peace candle the last two weeks, and I'm going to light those now. And this morning, we'll be lighting the, the candle of joy. And you know, around this, uh, around this time of year, of course, and we just, we have a text thread, and Pablo I uh, was very upset that we're in the third week of Advent and we've yet to hear a Christmas hymn. And so I know he's very upset about that. And I'm going to defer to the worship teams back there because, you know, not my department. However, Pablo, the, the hymn Joy to the World was written, the one that we sing every Christmas. It was first published in 1719 by the English writer Isaac Watts. And it was based on Psalm 98, Psalm 96, and Genesis 3. And I want to read for us Psalm 98 as we lit the joy candle. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. That sounds expressive, right? That's not like joy to the world. No. Burst with excitement, with joy, jubilant song and worship to the Lord. Make music to the Lord with the harp with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for the joy before the Lord, the King. Music was invented to worship the Lord. 
And so this morning, and I, and I want to invite you, if you're watching at home, and whether it's your family or whether you're by yourself, don't just sit in your chair, but stand up, sing out loud, make a joyful noise. Don't, don't diminish the opportunity, the privilege we have to come into his presence and to worship him, to have that worshipful experience. And so that's my prayer this morning. Wherever you are, that as we take this time, what's desperately needed, particularly in times of chaos, is people who stand and say, I'm going to worship the Lord because no matter what's going on around, he's still worthy of all of our praise. Amen? So can we worship him with that kind of heart, church? I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come up uh, in a moment. And as I, as I just, I want to, I want, the title of the message this morning is Heed the Call, and I want to remind us. Of the past few weeks, what we've been preaching on. Heed the call could be respond to the gospel or live out your faith or surrender and obey. Pastor Jamie and I don't preach a different message. There's only one message. Have an encounter with the Christ of the cross. Leave your life there and go on anew. I've shared with you all before, among my favorite scriptures is John's explanation of his writing and ministry. And I've sort of, you know, this, this, is, this is my heart cry as well. When he explains the purpose of his writing in John's gospel, chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. In other words, what he's saying is there's a lot of other stuff that Jesus has done, and I don't even have time to tell you about all that other stuff. But these, this gospel, this truth, it was written for this, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his his name. Believe and have life. I think in a way, all of our ministry falls into these two categories. We preach that some may come to believe and that once coming to believe, together we have life in Christ a life of meaning and purpose. That's the cry of my heart. For every human being I encounter is that they believe, and it's not just mental assent, it's not just they come to have a a change of mind, but that they believe and have life, they have a change of heart, they have a change of allegiance, and they see that if you live for self, it'll never, ever, ever be enough. But if you live for Jesus, you realize it already is. We gather together to be encouraged and to be equipped by the word of God, by the spirit of God, and by the presence of God, but empowered to do the work of God. You've heard, Jamie and I have probably both used this example. If you went to the best med school in the world, and you graduated at the top of your class, and you aced the boards... And you were the most talented student the academy had ever seen, but you never practiced medicine. Are you a doctor? We think we're Christians because of what we know, and we're not. There are only those who see their lives as ministry and those who have yet to realize this this truth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the responsible person seeks to make his or her whole life a response to the call of God. That's actually the meaning of the word responsible. That's how we're to live our lives, church. And for a long, long time, you know that I ran from the call of God on my, on my life like Jonah, and you know it did not end up so well. 
and because God's calling is most often not what we expect. And so this morning, we're going to continue. We're going to look at the life of Jeremiah. If the worship team could come up now and if we could stand here in the room as we transition to worship, but we're going to look at the life of Jeremiah, a man who was obedient when it was difficult, when it looked different than he thought it should look, when everybody in his life was giving him advice to do something different, he stood. He stood with the message to the people of God that had walked away again and again from God. And Jeremiah stood with the message and said, destruction is coming. You've, you, you've become, you were God's holy people and you've, and you've become a nation of idols. And so his call was repent before your destruction. And that call is always pertinent because it's the call that has to hit our heart first. And we're going to talk about that. But my Christian life isn't primarily I look around and I want everybody else to change. My Christian life is I look deep into my heart and I want my heart to change. Because you see, if I want everybody else to change and if that's my expectation, I'm going to end up frustrated and burnt out. But if I am radically changed by the love of Christ, inevitably, I can't control it as an overflow of that People around me are going to change. The culture around me is going to change. We're called to incarnationally live out Christ, to be his hands and feet. But we got to have it here, church. And so this morning, wherever you are, all of us have, have a need to repent. All of us have, have a need to say, there's something that has gotten in the way of my intimacy with you, Lord. And whatever that something is, I ask you now to take it from me. So I can enter holy and unblemished, like your word says, into your presence. To be radically changed from the inside out by your love. So have your way this morning in each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning, church online. I love what Pastor Brian was saying about, you know, you're at home, but you are still in the presence of God if you're worshiping him. And so, you know, stand and dance around your living room. Uh, so I'll just tell you the songs we're going to sing so you can pull them up real quick. Grab a pencil. I'll wait. It's uh, Raise a Hallelujah. We're going to sing 10,000 Reasons and At Your Name. So if you want to just pull up those lyrics so you can sing along at home. Amen. Hope you raise your hands. Worship your king. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of the enemy. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah, my weapon is a melody, I raise a hallelujah, heaven comes to fight for me, and I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm, louder Hear my praises roar, roar from the ashes. 
Melody, amen. So sing a little louder. Praise you, God. Sing a little louder. Won't you sing a little louder? Sing a little louder. Church, amen. You know, this um, 
it's a season, I feel, of waiting. Not only is it a season of us, we feel like we've been stuck in the house. We feel like we've been going around in circles and just like waiting for the world to get back to normal. And then it struck me that Mary also, you know, at this point was waiting for the birth of her son. And then the, uh, the world was waiting for the birth of the Savior. And I just love so much how the book of Jeremiah is just, we don't have to be stagnant while we're waiting. We can grow, we can be purposeful, we can prepare because something great is coming. Amen. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. Sun comes up. The sun comes up, it's a new day morning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the Strength is failing. The 
Shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh, we come to shout your name, O Lord, sing to him, church, Lord of all the earth, Lord of all the earth, we'll shout your name, shout your name, Filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord. At your name, praise you, God. At your name, the mountains shake and crumble. Praise you, God. your name, the oceans roar and tumble, at your name, angels will bow, the earth will rejoice, your people cry Shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord. Sing it again, Lord of all the earth. Oh Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name. your name, the morning breaks, praise God, at your name, the morning breaks in glory, praise you God, at your name, creation sings your story. 
Father, we sing these songs. We love to shout your name, O Lord, but do we? In the midst of the turmoil of our lives, do we remember the name of Jesus? The name that has power, the name above all names. Someone asked me once, does God answer prayer? And I say, he always answers prayer. The answer to all of our prayers is Jesus. What we need is Jesus. The answer to the evil in the world is Jesus. The absence of peace is because we don't have Jesus. The only thing that we can preach is Jesus. The only name under which people can be saved is Jesus. 
And this Jesus, we come to worship and we come to bow at his feet and we come to surrender our lives and we come to learn from. So my prayer this morning is that we may believe and have life. And so wherever you are in this room, wherever you're here, that you may come to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and that belief changes you so radically that you have a life that you never ever imagined. Ephesians 3.20 says more than we are able to ask or imagine. And so Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, Pastor Jamie last week preached a powerful sermon inviting us to begin to consider in this series the life of Jeremiah that invitation, and, and one of the things he said has resonated with me. You know, that, that point that he made about Jeremiah being faithful to the call on his life for 40 years, despite, there wasn't just, you know, some obstacles in the road. There was difficulty. There was no fruit. There was abuse and opposition, And I think of how many times, you know, and and we'll get into it, but like the average pastor, it's like five to seven years, and then that's it, they're done, and there's a million reasons, and I'll touch on them. But I, you know, we just get this sense of we're faithful to the call as long as it suits us. We're faithful to the call as long as it looks more or less like we thought it was supposed to look. Yes, God, I'll, I'll follow you, I'll obey you, but here are my parameters, Lord. You know what? God's done the most amazing work throughout the thousands of years in the history of the church. It hasn't been people who've had particular abilities. It has been in some cases. But you know what? It's been most of the time radical shifts in ordinary lives that were willing to say, I'm not going to put any parameters on why you, what you think this thing should look like. I'm going to leave my life at the foot of the cross. We've, we've preached before, you know, people like to give you kind of half that message. It's a little pessimistic, but people say, you know, when you're going through difficulty, they'll say, you know, pick up your cross. Die to self. Amen. But, but it continues. It's an invitation to death to self because it's an invitation to something bigger than that. It's an invitation not only to the death to self, but to the resurrection of the new life. It's not just an invitation to stay dead in the grave. And so we began last week with the call of Jeremiah, a man who clearly gave his life to fulfilling the call of God, an inspiration to us. Somebody who faced difficulty, but he persevered. And so I'm just going to read a portion of this because I think the fundamentals of the message, we kind of know the story. We know that he continued to warn an obstinate people that God's judgment was coming and that they were supposed to be God's special people and there was idolatry and the culture had impacted the church and it was a mess. Sound familiar? So just Jeremiah 1, verse 1 through 3. We've read it a few times now. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the king of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. 
It also come in the days of Je- yeah, Jeho- Jehoakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the king of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Jamie, repeat that back to me. Well, you got all that? Okay, good. Here's the point. Why am I reading all that? His family name, Hilkiah, it means the Lord is my portion. This could really be the whole sermon. The Lord is my portion. Do you realize how radically different everything would be if we could take away that one simple lesson that that would change our entire lives? The Lord is my portion. Jesus is enough. In him, we have peace. Because, see, we're gonna, you know, we, we know about the ministry of Jeremiah. We know about the call of Jeremiah. But if Jeremiah didn't wrestle with these things, if Jeremiah didn't come to that place in his heart where he said, I have to abandon everything I think it was going to look like. I have to put away all my excuses and be faithful to the call of God as I hear him speaking to me no matter what. Famously, you know, Jonathan Edwards, is, you know, his first resolution was, I will live for God. And the second one was, if nobody else will, I still will. It's easy to follow Jesus. It's easy to walk in the will of God when everything looks the way we think it's supposed to look. But the call last I read is not be salt and light when it's convenient. Not be salt and light if it lines up with your calendar already. I want us to consider here my first point. Jeremiah's call was much different than expected. You see, like many of us, Jeremiah had a career path that had been planned out for him for generations. There was an expectation. Point number one about the call of God, it very often looks different than we think it should look. That's why we call it faith. So Jeremiah had this plan for his life like many of us do. He had his expected ministry. He was going to be a man of God, but it was going to look like this. Because sometimes as long as 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 we can put a religious veneer on what we're doing, then we kind of can categorize it as service. See, his father was a priest. And his father's father was a priest. And it was expected that Jeremiah would be a priest. But Jeremiah's calling was different than he expected. God called him to be a prophet. Serving as a prophet was more demanding than serving as a priest. Point one. Often, I want to say always, yeah, always is safe. The call of God is more demanding than the things we impose on ourselves. A priest's duties were predictable. I mean, there was a system. Everything he needed to do was written down in the law. There was a certainty. There was a routine. There was a religious comfort. And these are the certain things I do. And this fulfills my duty spiritually. A prophet, there was no such direction. Each day could change. Ministry from day to day could look entirely different. See, we still have this mind that there's a priest, that there's like, I'm the priest, Jamie, you know, that they're the priest, and we do all the work. It's a royal priesthood. If you're a Christian, your life is your ministry. 
My, 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 the cry of my heart is that you live that out, that you believe and that you have life, that life is overflowing. That's what it means to be salt and light. You don't have to try to be salt and light. You just have to make sure you stay in love with Jesus. And you can't help but be salt and light. See, a prophet never knew from day to day what to expect. Do we? Do I know tomorrow who the Lord's going to put in my path? Do I know what I'm going to do tomorrow when somebody does put somebody in my path? Because sometimes we don't even pray, we don't even prepare, and it happens, and we're, you know, you should be prepared. You should have, you should, you have, should have a way to consider every person you, you meet to present the gospel, to, to share with them the hope you have in Jesus. See, we want to know what we know. We want to do what was comfortable, what was routine. Jeremiah wanted to go, I'm a priest from a line of priests. This is the priestly thing. This is what we do. It's, it's, it's what God wants. I mean, it's a priest, right? If Jeremiah would have been a priest, he would have been disobedient to God. It would have been sinful for him to ignore the call of God. Another thing about priests, they didn't preach to crowds very much. They ministered primarily to individuals. Prophets, on the other hand, they addressed whole nations. And what that means was they weren't seen as like part of the community. Like the priest was like the guy everybody knows as a level of respect. A prophet comes in with this message. Nobody wants to hear it. They're like, who's this guy? Get this guy out of here. He's not even, we reject him. We reject his message. You know, we feel like that isolation a little bit sometimes, and we're all like up in arms. Like, I tried to share Jesus with somebody at work, and I mean, they laughed at me. The whole thing was a disaster. Was it really? People laughed at me most of my life. You guys, some of you still laugh at me. Was it really a disaster? Because you felt a little uncomfortable sharing about your Savior who went to the cross for your sin? Did, did that make you feel a little, a little uncomfortable? Come on, guys. I'm preaching to me too here, right? I mean... I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I am. But why? Because we've got to wake up. Ministry does not look like we think it's supposed to look right now. But you know what? Our Christian lives isn't about making everybody and everything else look the way we think it should look. Our Christian lives is about making us look like Jesus Christ. That's it. That's why we come here. You know, I was thinking, I mean, Jamie saw it, man. I walked in the building and Jamie saw, he said, there's something different. You know, I, I prepare and I pray, and I, but I get this burden. There is so much chaos and division and hatred and, and there's, there's so much stuff pulling at us. And there's the anxiety and we're closing all this stuff, I get it. All we can do, church is make sure that we are in love with Jesus and that every day we're falling deeper in love with Jesus and that from that, we make our arguments and our decisions and our actions, all of it come from an overflow a relation, of a relationship with him. If not, what is, what is our message? What is our message? Priests belonged to a special tribe. They came with authority and respect. There was a sense culturally in America where everybody was nominally Christian. You didn't stand out. You weren't marginalized if you said you were a Christian. Of course you were. It was just, it was, you know, it was, it was regional. It was cultural. It wasn't really a Christian thing. 
You know, all throughout history, and I don't want to belabor this point, but I, I can make the case a million times, all throughout history, when nations were nominally Christian, they were spiritually superficial at best. And so what you see historically is a, a, a group comes in militarily, wipes them out, and everybody converts. The places where people are Christians, are where, where that, that faith that digs in, the, the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the faith. It's places like China where they'll kill you for proclaiming Jesus. Where, where to, to be a Christian means, like, like in Jeremiah's call, it means that you are an outcast. It means that you're going to now align yourself with a way of life that is foreign to your environment. And it was always that, and it's always supposed to be that. Sometimes we look for what's safer. We want to put a tr our trust in our position or our education or our salary. See, Jeremiah obeyed the call of God against what was expected. You and I have an invitation to obey the call of God, oftentimes against what we expect. And so what do we get when we do that? Because I'm thinking like thousands of converts, a fruitful ministry, fame and fortune, a big church, a book deal. I mean, Jeremiah at least got the book deal, right? No, what Jeremiah got was for his obedience was the people who were obstinate and hostile to the message. We should expect that they are hostile to that message today. The worst, the worst uh, response somebody can have to the gospel is some indifferent, lukewarm, in, you know, not even a consideration. When people are offended by the truth, when they understand, why is it? Why does that happen? I'm going to tell you this about the, the, about the time of King Josiah. When we look at hostility to the message, we look at the cultural environment, the shift. It says, son of Ammon, the great-grandson of Hezekiah, a pious king of Judah. He introduced great reforms in the temple worship and in the religious character of the nation in general. This is from a Bible dictionary. No king set himself more earnestly to destroy every vestige of idolatry out of the land. Among other things, he defiled the altars of the idols at Bethel by burning upon them the bones from the tombs of their deceased. So he's coming in. He's a cultural revolutionary saying, no more. We are the nation of Israel. We are God's chosen people. No more are we going to bow down to these idols. We're going to get rid of this idolatry. We're going to repent as a nation. There's a sense of nationalism, a sense of pride. There's all these things they're doing on the outside to look more holy. While cleaning and repairing the temple, the priests find a, a copy of the five books of the law. The, the law, the Bible, the, the word of God up until that point had been displaced. It was no longer a priority in the lives of the people. And so this king comes in and he says, I have to make the Bible a priority now. I have to put that back. And you're saying, well, these are all good things. These are all things that we're doing. I mean, these are like religious, churchy, priesty things, right? To avert the judgments. He humbled himself before God. He, he sought to bring his people to repentance, had a heart just like Jeremiah. He caused them to renew their covenant. He celebrated Passover like at its first institution. In other words, he said, remember. Remember the faith of our youth. Remember when we did this as a holy nation. 
And then it says, but the repentance of the people was heartless, and they did not avert the divine judgments. What they're saying is, at this time where he's preaching, you know, they had reformers. They had people that came in, and they tried to brush up everything on the outside. They tried to say, we want, you know, things to be a Christian nation, and we want things to look like this and look like this. And in the midst of doing those things, those cultural and national reforms, that should be done. Nobody's saying, don't do those things. But it says their repentance was heartless. What did they do? They looked at everybody else. They ignored their own sin. They ignored their own idolatry. The repentance of the people was heartless. What, is there such thing as heartless repentance? You see, it looked like a great revival might come. We think, you know, this, you know, this candidate gets in or, or this policy gets in or, or this country, you know, this, you know, things are going and we think this is going to be this great revival. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying by no means to not be engaged. I'm saying our allegiance to Christ, our understanding, only Christ can change the hearts of men, of people. There's only hope in him. We don't want to just have people, you know, change their ideas, change their mind. We want them to believe and live, to believe, to surrender and submit their lives to Jesus. So we consider that. We consider the cultural climate during Jeremiah. And then we reflect, we reflect right now on a more current scenario to help bring this message into view. Lest we think that we're a whole bunch of little Jeremiah's out preaching to them, and maybe there is God's word preaching to us. Maybe the repentance starts with us, church, and goes from there. And that's always the process, right? In America, we like to con confuse patriotism with Christianity. We make movies like The Passion of the Christ, the number one movie at the box office, and at the same time, the diverse, divorce rate in the church is almost 60%. The average Christian spends five times a year more than they give to charity on entertainment. That means we look at whatever our disposable income is and we go, yeah, I'm going to spend this on making myself amused and feel good. I'm going to give this to God, and I'm going to feel relatively good about that. The average Christian in America gives less than 1% of their income to the church. Now listen, I wish I could preach this message at other churches because if you've been here, it's like one of those things, you, you know, the, the money thing. But listen, Jesus talks about it all the time. Why? Because he needs money? Because we need money? I don't care. It's not going to change anything. It's going to allow us to do more ministry, but it, it's a step of faith. It's the Lord saying, what are your, all you have is time, talent, and treasure. That's it. You get time on this earth, you get abilities, natural abilities, giftings that are unique to you, and you get your treasures, your resources. That's it. Everybody gets them. You can't say, I'm leveraging my life for you, Jesus. I'm just not going to leverage my time, not really my abilities, and not really my resources. But I'm leveraging my life for you, Jesus, on a Sunday for 30 minutes. Pornography is ruin, ruining a generation of young men. A generation, we don't even talk about it. Destroying the sense of what sexual expression is supposed to look like. So lost. And it goes, it, it's, such a, it's such a fundamental sin and it's not even, the, it's not the sexual nature, it's the sense of my self-gratification is the ultimate thing in my life. And that translates everywhere. 
And in the, in the pursuit of self-gratification, we've lost what it means to be human. We've lost our relational connection to the Lord and to each other. And we replace pleasure for intimacy. And we've lost, we've substituted one lesser thing for a better thing. I've preached again and again, sin is always a cheap substitute for something better God has for us. Always. And we take the cheap substitute again and again. And when we're hungry and not fulfilled, we blame God. Here's another example. And this is like, look, this is, I read this and I was like, I don't even know if I should read this. Don Carson is a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Very well-known scholar. And he's meeting a young man from Africa, this young man, and they're doing ministry, and he's trying to practice the German together. And Carson writes, once a week, we took bread, we went out for a meal, I learned his wife was in London, she was training to be a doctor, and once or twice a week, I would discover that he would disappear into the red light district of town, obviously paying money for a prostitute. He said, eventually I asked him, I said, what would you do if you discovered your wife doing something like that in London? And he said, I would kill her. To which Carson replied, that's a bit of a double standard, isn't it? And he said, you don't understand where I come from in Africa. The husband has the right, he can do whatever he wants. He can be with as many women as he wants. But if a wife's unfaithful, that's, that, you know, she's put to death. This is what happens in the world today, folks. And Carson said, but you said you were raised in a, in a mission school. You know the God of the Bible doesn't have those double standards. And he gave me a bright smile and he replied, but God is good. He's bound to forgive us. That's his job. And we would say that attitude is disgusting. That is so abhorrent. How could that man, he couldn't really love his wife being unfaithful. And then we looked and we seriously consider our relationship with the Lord. Do we see now why Jeremiah's message hurt the people, cut to the people? Who wants to hear that message? Who wants to be confronted with that truth? Because that was Judah's ungodly attitude, and it's offensive, and it's horrible, and it's disgusting, and it's the worst of man-made religion, and if I'm not careful, we can find ourselves, I can find myself in those places. See, too often as Christians, we think revival means everyone around us needs to change. And Jesus has a whole discourse about that, right? My, my paraphrase would be like, slow your roll, big log, you right, right? Chill out. I know, I know, I know you can come to me. Everybody can come to me and point out problems that everybody else is real good. It's amazing how descriptive we can be of everybody else's stuff. People can come to me and say, they did this and they did that. And then, you know, how deflective we are of our own reality. Start, just start taking a look at our own hearts, our own responsibility. Because the message of Jeremiah, the message of the gospel, it uproots and it tears down. That's the first thing it does. That's the first thing Jeremiah's message did. It's the first thing our message would do. Uproot and tear down our false religious thinking that we are good because of anything we do. That we're part of, we're part of the, you know, well, they were part of Israel. They're God's holy nation. God's going to forgive us. We can do whatever we want. He's supposed to love us. 
And in human relationships, we can see how disgusting that is, but that's what we do to God. His job is to forgive me. I don't really owe him anything. I mean, I do some of the stuff. Not only do we uproot and tear down, and Ruth said it, and it's been a burden on our hearts, Pastor Jamie and I, we're in a season of preparation. This is not what anybody planned. It doesn't look like we thought. But we can tell you story after story after story about lives being changed. I mean, I'm going to get going. People being ministered to just divine appointments, the Lord at work, and the church is growing. In the midst of this, we've increased our people who've said, this is my church family, by about 20%. And I believe God's preparing us for when we can come together again, and we can be grateful for that. And not say, I'm going to sleep in, I'll catch it next week. Or not be so, you know, flagrant. Not be so disrespectful with the things of the Lord. Because the call is also to plant and build up. To, to create an environment where we allow the word of God to cause the fruit of the spirit to develop in our lives. The word of God will cause that. I don't cause it. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or as Beethoven played music or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that the host of heaven and earth would pause to say, here lived a great sweet streeper, street sweeper, I knew I was going to mess that up, who did his job well. And we could add for the glory of God, whatever you do, whatever your life looks like, understand primarily you're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're an ambassador. Paul says you've been reconciled to God and what? And now kick back and watch Netflix. You've been reconciled to the Lord and now take it easy. Retire, coast, just relax. No, you've been reconciled to God and now you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. God is often unpredictable. It doesn't matter. He should, we should be thrilled to be called, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Created to do good works. Revival begins with me, and it begins with you, and it begins when we love Jesus more than our own sin. To revive means to bring something that was dead back to life. If we've given our lives to Jesus, we were dead and now we live. And so you've heard me preach again and again that the gospel is clear. It's a life for a life. Jesus gave his life that we may live. And I used to, we, have, we used to say this a lot. We probably haven't said it in a while in the church, but we used to talk about the culture here. We used to always use this expression. We used to always say, we want to be a place where people feel loved enough to stay, but challenged enough to grow. Remember, it's been a little bit. But that's a great expression. We, we want you to feel loved and cared for. We, we, that, that's true. But we don't want, ever, you know, Christianity is not a spectator sport. We want you to feel challenged enough to grow. I don't want you to leave here, oh, that was nice, you know, I feel, I feel good, that's Pastor Brian was told a joke that was funny, and that was kind of a good word, and no. The message, the message of the gospel is an offense, but we're called, we're challenged. Romans 12, 2, gives a, it, it, gives, it makes a clear distinction. Do not, 
Not a suggestion. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, the pattern, the routine, the cultural narrative. Do not conform anymore to that, but instead, as opposed to, here's a different way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is. We're talking about the will of God for our lives, and some of us haven't you know, made that first exchange. We said, what's the will of God for my life? Well, the first thing it is, is don't be conformed to culture. And instead, be, be conformed. Have your mind renewed with the word of God, by the spirit of God. That's his will first. And then he'll unfold as we take steps of obedience what it's going to look like. But don't be like you were before. Some of the people I meet, not people in this church, certainly, but people in other places, maybe, they live the same way they did before they met Jesus. You know, they didn't, you know, they didn't know Jesus, and now they know him, and it's like, there's no difference, and that's not a compliment. It's not because they will, you know. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to encounter Jesus and be radically changed. And I'm not saying this is what you look at everybody else. I'm saying this is what you look at you and say, what about me? Am I living the same way? Are those patterns pulling me back in? Because the alternative is this. Like the nation of Judah, like the rich young ruler, we can come to church, we can do the religious stuff week after week, year after year, decade after decade. And people can ask us, we can say, yeah, I'm in the church, yeah, I'm a Christian. And we can do like the little priestly duties, the little religious stuff. But week after week, year after year, Jesus is telling us again and again, hey, there's this one thing you've got to give up. There's this one idol that you have on the throne of your heart that's replacing me. And you've got to take that off. And week after week, year after year, we come back and we don't take it off. And we live unfulfilled lives and we preach to everybody about, about Jesus and the hope we have. And meanwhile, we have these idols. We say, why can't I enter into worship? Why, you know, why am I angry? Why am I? Because we got to look at our heart. we got to start with our heart. What, what's God telling you? You see, the rich young ruler was so stubborn that it says he walked away sad. Why would you make a decision and immediately walk away sad? You don't make that decision. Be happy. No. Because we turn away from God all the time, and it fundamentally makes us sad, but we do it anyway. I don't want us to. I don't want to. I did for a long time. Jamie did for a long time. A lot of you have done it for a long time. But imagine, like, imagine if just after this sermon, each of us just went home and just, just, just did our business with the Lord, repented of our own stuff. Forget about your wife and your kids and all the other stuff and just said, Lord, Jesus, I have just made it about so many things other than you. I, I've done all this stuff and... I just want to repent. I just want to be in your presence. I want to be overwhelmed by your grace and mercy. And I want my life and my ministry to be an overflow of that. Because that's the kind of heart Jeremiah had and Paul had. That's the kind of heart you have to have to persist in ministry. Or it's a job. It's, it's priestly duties. And you're going to get burnt out because it's not really the call of God that's motivating you. It's something else. We're all building kingdoms. There is no one in this room right now. You're building the kingdom. Are you building God's kingdom on your own? 
because we're all in this like process together. Salvation is just the beginning. We spend a lot of time, rightfully so, we preach the gospel. You know, people need to hear the gospel to be converted. We understand that. But we need to, we need to focus on making disciples, on being disciples, on training each other up, on encouraging other sanctification, on being more like Christ. That means change. We gather here to be changed by the power and word of God. That is it. We don't gather here to be unchanged. Hopefully you never come into church with the attitude that I want to leave the exact same way I am. God, let that never be the case. That we forget the power, the hope of the gospel to change our most hardened hearts. Because refusal to change is removing us from service. And the only thing God gives us is what he wants back. It's our will. Guys, you know, and, and I, I'm always, you know, you've heard my story again and again, but it's my context. And I got to tell you, you know, in my life, I was, I was really broken. And I got to, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a kind of a, there's a balance between, you know, completely ignoring our past and, and, and forgetting the grace and mercy of God and forgetting that brokenness that makes us humble. There's, there's a balance between, you know, leaving that so far behind that we forget the power of God in those moments. And I think we got to be careful not to live there, but sometimes we got to visit. Sometimes we got to remember what God did. We got to remember how bad things were. We got to remember that without Christ, apart from ourselves, left to our own devices, we're dreadful. And it gets easier after time goes on. I was thinking the other day, I've been sober for around 14 years. I work in vocational ministry. I pastor the church. I know a good deal about the Bible. I'm a, I'm a father and a husband. And the world's going to judge me one day. And they're going to say this or that. But all I want to be known for, like John, so that, that guy loved Jesus. He, you know, he was wacky, all this other stuff, but man, he loved Jesus. His whole life, the cry of his heart was that people would believe and have life because of Jesus. We've said some of the, you know, our fa favorite quotes, Jamie, but powerful Martin Luther, I'm just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Just one poor sap who encountered the grace and love and mercy of Jesus. And I'm trying to tell everybody else, here's where it's at. Nowhere else. See, I don't want to go from being the, the, the tax collector to being a Pharisee, right? To being broken and, and to not even being able to come into the presence of God to that brokenness to then become the religious hypocrite that Jesus railed against. John Newton lived to be 82 years old. He continued to preach and have an active ministry until beset by fading health the final two years of his life. Even then, he never ceased to be amazed by God's grace. And he told his friends this, My memory is nearly gone. I only remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is indeed a great Savior. You see, Jeremiah was supposed to be a priest and Matthew was a tax collector and Paul was a murderer of believers and Peter was a fisherman who had no self-control. 
We can look at the line of Jesus and we can expect to see, you know, kings and professional athletes and movie stars and superheroes. But the fact is that it contains a number of not so perfect, very flawed people. Making it evident that God does his work, dare I say oftentimes, his greatest work. Through those that everybody else should say, yeah, no, that's not what anyone expected. It should give us hope and it should let us know how important we are to him. And it should let us know that God can use anyone to accomplish his purposes. When Jeremiah responded with excuses, the Lord said, wait a minute, I'm the one who's going to put the words. Don't see yourself as an obstacle. See yourself as a vessel. I'm the one who's going to do the work. You see, God uses us. First, he changes us to bring glory to him and to increase our faith, and then he equips us. So we can be like Jeremiah, we can make excuses, or we can be like Jonah and we can run, and we can not like the way God deals compassionately with other people, because that's what we do. We want, you know, grace and mercy when it comes to our own sin, and then with everyone else, we're like, God, won't you judge them? Look at them. Judge them, Lord. Here's another thing about the call of Jeremiah, about the call of Paul, about the call of any saint of God. It's an offense. It's always going to be an offense. Do you know why? Because men are offended by the truth. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, of discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. That that means the word of God, it cuts through all the surface stuff. That even the people who can say, well, no, I'm religious, look at me. I got all the out stuff. You know, I'm religious, look at me. And then the word of God cuts right to the heart. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is foolishness, folly to those who are perishing, to those apart from God, but to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. John 3.19, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and that people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I don't want to preach to you about the life of Jeremiah as much as I want to echo to you the message of Jeremiah. Yes, we can learn as an example for the persistence of his obedience, but we can also be ministered to by his warnings. We can be be changed and encouraged to continue the fight. But the the cross of Christ, sorry, offends. It should offend. It represents the punishment for our sin. And it also represents the only hope we have of redemption. See, here's the thing. There's nobody here. There's nobody that's listening. There's nobody within the realm of this message that doesn't need forgiveness. But like children, we pout and we rebel. And we run after our toys and our idols and refuse to acknowledge the obvious truth. Or we keep ourselves sufficiently distracted from the fundamental reality that sin has still so profoundly affected us that all of us stand and feel naked and afraid, 
we feel filled with shame. We feel like something is wrong because sin has tarnished us from birth and we exist in rebellion. And we must surrender to the God who gave his son to save us. Jeremiah ministered for, t- for some 40 years. And we live in a time where pastors are leaving ministry in the droves. Many who are at a church about five years is about the average, and then you get another opportunity. Someone offers more money. The church is bigger. And then I've been part of South Coast Church since the beginning, since day one. Since day one, before South Coast existed, I was part of the founding church. And the reason that I'm part of South Coast Community Church still is not because there's allegiance to an organization or to a name. It's because when I was at my darkest and most broken, these were the people who expressed the truth and the love of Jesus to me. And such, you know, I stand here and everybody sees, you know, I'm Pastor Brian, but it was, it was the people in this church who loved me so well with the love of Jesus that I have been so radically changed and, I, and it's such a joy to be part of, that's, that's not normal, okay? That's not people's typical, uh, you know, uh, experience, opportunity in a church setting. People have more often than not been wounded, and I was so radically loved that I just want to continue that. We say all the time, Pastor Jamie and I, we want to be a place where people are loved back to life. Where people are loved back to life with the truth of the gospel, And it's offensive at first. At no time have I considered leaving this role, this call. Why? Because it's easy or because it's fun? No, it can be. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's the most, I'm so grateful. There's no victory without a battle. It can be difficult, but it's worth it. It's eternal work. It's humbling. It's the great privilege of my life to be a part of this community. Sometimes the Lord calls us to different things, but far too often what happens is we call ourselves to different things and we ask God to approve our plan. See, the call of Jeremiah was different. The call of Jeremiah was difficult. But if you've been saved, you've been given some kind of ministry. You can't be saved and not have a ministry. So the question is, are we faithful to it? God's not going to say, hey, what did you do with somebody else's time or talent or treasure? He's going to say, what did you do with your life? Who did you leverage your life for? This is all we get. And it's not what we do ultimately that matters, but what a sovereign God chooses to do through us. God is less concerned with worldly success and he's incredibly concerned with hearts and submission to him. That's the question we should ask each morning is my heart submitted to God? If you can start there, then that's my pastoral advice. Everything's an overflow of that. Start. Submitted to God. The reason Jesus talks about money and being a servant, why does Jesus do that? That's what he's talking about. Serve, serve, serve. Came to serve, not to be served. Serve, serve. The, you know, the, the greater to be, to be less, serve to, to be elevated, live, die to live. All, it's, all, it's an inverted kingdom. Why does Jesus keep saying that? Why does he keep reminding us? Because the hard truth is that most of us are concerned about our own status. 
Most of us are concerned about being served. One of the things that's critical to exist in real Christian community is that important, it's important that we know what love is and what love is not. And that we're, we're willing to have hard conversations to speak truth in love to people. People just didn't leave me and just say, oh, well, you know, as a church, Pastor Brian, he's destroying his life. He's destroying his wife's life, his kids' lives. He's creating a mess, but, you know, we'll pray for you, and we're going to, you know, we're going to, you know, kind of put you over there and let us know, because that's what I expected, to be honest with you. I mean, that's what I deserved. That's what I expected. How do you handle a hot mess like that? What do you do? But instead, this is what they did. They said, we don't know anything about like, this guy's struggle. So we're going to get an expert. We're going to get this guy that works in the jail to teach us how to love somebody well when their struggle is something we don't understand. Do you realize how powerful that that is? We still do that. That's our culture here. That we want to be willing to enter into people's brokenness. That's uncomfortable. But man, when you do it good, I mean, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. It, it's, it's literally living out what Jesus says when he says, just, just, you know, just stop making it about everything else for one second. Just listen. Ready? Ready? Everybody pay attention. Love God with every fiber of your being. With everything. With, with no abandon. Without any idols. Just, just focus on that. And then as a result of that, your relationships, the way you love your neighbor, the way you live is going to be so radically altered. It's an overflow. And we run in a thousand directions and we make it about a thousand other things. And the Lord invites us, come to me, you who are weary. And I'll give you rest. Message of Jeremiah is, is the, the message of the cross is repent. Die to self. Don't be so stubborn. But then you're invited into a resurrection life into a new way to live into a ministry into a life of purpose and meaning of value church we are made uncomfortable by god so we adjust he 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 shifts us and moves us so we're different the bible says when you bear fruit he leaves you alone and lets you you know recover cuz it's tough to bear fruit and then when you're ready he puts you back in the game no, the Bible says when you bear fruit, you get pruned. That doesn't seem fair at all. But he says, so that you'll bear more fruit. Because that fruit is people, is souls. Now, we're not here, we're here for like a minute, you know, to encounter Jesus and to be equipped and to worship him. But we're here to be the church, to be equipped to go out and preach the gospel to people who, who don't know Jesus. That's why we exist as a church. We're called to be a church, not just a place where we come and get our needs met. It is that too. It is that community. But we're not called to show up to consume th- something for our spiritual diet and then ignore it, not apply it, be hearers of the words, not so much doer. Maybe for a day, maybe for a moment, maybe we feel different But then it wears off. Then we're conformed quickly again to the pattern of the world and the cares of the world come in and they rob us of our spiritual lives. I want you to be spiritually vital. I'm preaching this to you not because I, I mean, 
because I'm your pastor and I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth and I'd rather you hate me for telling you the truth than like me for telling you a lie. But I'm going to tell you this because I want you to be spiritually vital. I want you to be spiritually nourished. I want you to be so in love with Jesus that you walk around babbling and crying like an idiot like me. Or not just that's the example of me. I'm just saying. That kind of an overwhelming expression where I can't start to tell somebody about my story and my encounter with Jesus without completely breaking down understanding. And people say, oh, the miracles. Dead people becoming alive is a miracle. Don't allow the cares of the world to rob you of your spiritual vitality. There's a quote I read the other day, and it's spot on. It's by a guy named Neil Postman, and he wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And he said this, People will come to love their oppression, to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. Our capacities to think, to love, to relate, to react are becoming undone. We've forgotten how to be still, how to reflect, how to repent, how to serve without applause, how to be faithful when times are tough. See, even in this room, look around you. There are people in this room who need you who need your time, who need your abilities, who need your, your treasures, who need you to help them somewhere to walk. Because it's tough. People say, oh, it's, you know, you've heard me say before a million times, it's tough to be a Christian, Pastor Brian. It's hard, yeah, and it's tougher not to be a Christian. Because life's tough. And like, just like Paul says, we mourn, but we don't mourn like those who are without hope. Yeah, we have struggles. Yeah, life's not easy, but it's different for us. We have hope. God is perfect, and he's loving, and, and he's, he's sovereign, and he's in control, and he knows. We're not called to, you know, figure it all out. We're not called to say, well, you know, God, I'm going to serve you. Here's the deal. See, most of the time, we think the will of God is to, we make the plan, and then we go, what do you think, God, huh? Huh? Look at I, I did all the work for you. You don't even have to, you know, you don't even have to really look at this. I mean, it's good. I'm telling you, just give me a stamp. I mean, this is good. I spent a lot of time. I did all the work. I know you're busy. So I got it laid out. This is what my ministry is going to look like. This is what my life, my plan, huh? And then God goes, Jeremiah, you're not going to be a priest. I have something different for you. Well, you'll be obedient still, though. I, here's, here's the thing. I don't know what this is going to look like at all for any of us, for the church. For, but here's what I do know. That there has never been a time in my life where I submitted myself to God. Where I said, all right, usually it's after kicking and screaming and fighting and, you know, making excuses. And finally getting to the place where you're done, you know, you spiritually get to that place. Okay, Lord. Never has he not shown up in a way where I've just been just blown away. I've just said, what is wrong with me, Lord? Why do I again and again be unfaithful to the God who's so faithful? Why do I believe all these empty promises that the world and the enemy has to offer and I forget about the promises of God? Why again and again do I do the same thing? Church focus here start here all of us and we will radically change the people who God's bringing through these doors because they were will encounter 
the truth, the incarnational Christ. They will hear the truth of the gospel. That it is, lay your life down, pick up your cross, death to self. But it's an invitation to life. A life of purpose and meaning and value. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I'm just going to ask as the worship team gets ready, just take a moment, just close your eyes. And as the worship team comes up, and then as they start to play, you know, we can stand and worship. But just take a moment while they're getting ready. Just close your eyes. Just keep your your focus, your thoughts, your heart with the Lord. I know the Holy Spirit is in this place. There's, There's a thickness. There's a presence here. And I don't know about you, but I know about my heart, and I know about me, and I know I need to repent. And to put Jesus first and to talk, stop telling the Lord how I think church or ministry or life should look. And so I just want us to take a minute before we worship and just ask the Lord to bring to our attention those things that he wants us to leave here in this room. Maybe, it, maybe it's a recent struggle. Maybe it's something that you've been struggling with for years or for decades. And the Lord said, well, you just give that away now. Just don't walk away sad again, but instead give it to me. Trust me. Take a minute. And then in a moment, the worship team can play. Go for his song. 
cross his offer. Do you believe? Is this who we've waited for? And how many kings stepped out from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have Father, we just thank you so much for this word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for being present here with us. And the word that just keeps coming to mind is palpable. From the words of the songs to the, to the words from our pastor, just your presence here, God, and your love for us. You've called each of us and all of us, Lord. For specific purposes. And Lord, I pray that we don't just go out on our own to, to do what we want to do. What we're comfortable with, Lord. But also what you have called us to. Father, that we would bow down to your will for us. That we would surrender, God. That we would find our, our fullness, our completeness in you. It's so easy 
to take back our will. It's so easy to do what is easy, what is comfortable. Lord, that's not what you've called us to, especially now. We've got a world right now, Father, that is dark, and there's a lot of hopelessness and sickness and fear. And Lord, your gospel, it provides hope. It provides courage. All the things that we need, all the things the world needs. Lord, I pray that, that there are people who heard this message today, not only who don't know you, that would come to know you, Lord, but also people who already claim to know you, who dig in deeper, who go further, and who surrender more. That they take it upon themselves, Lord, that they don't wait for a pastor or a leader to lead the way, God, but they also rise up and they say, here I am, Lord, send me, use me, God. Lord, we thank you so much for this moment, for this time right here where we can just stop and be still. And Lord, when we leave these doors, it's going to be really tough. You know, the world's going to come at us, and the busyness of life is going to come at us, and all of our obligations and commitments with our families and our employers and all those things, God, can really steal our focus. So as Pastor said, I pray that we learn how to invite you into all of them. That we put you at the center of all of these things, not just so we can neglect them, Lord, but Lord, so that those things can be done the way you want them to be done. So that you can be glorified in these places and so that your peace and your presence and your truth and your hope can be infused into these places, God. Because that's what we need. We need more of you and less of us. So Lord, I pray that this message today, God, change us. I thank you for our pastor this morning. I thank you for his word, for his vulnerability, for his transparency and his brokenness, Lord, that he brings with him. That He doesn't put on a mask, that he doesn't wear a special face for this pulpit, Lord, that he's himself humble and broken and remembers your grace and your mercy. And I thank you for that in this message today. And I thank you for this worship team that came out here today, Lord, and, and just really ushered in your presence. That there wasn't a performance here today. That it was worship. It was praise. And so God, we thank you for this today. We ask you all these things. Now go with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week.